All right. Hi, JFC. Glad that you are here on your way in. Should have been handed the notes, and that's at all of our campuses. So if you'll grab those, we'll finish up our series on strongholds here in just a second. Uh, two things that I wanted to bring to your attention, too. Uh, first one is this weekend, we had our Thanksgiving outreach, and we took care of 50 families. Now, these aren't just 50 uh, people who signed up. These are uh, people who are very needy and in situations where um, Thanksgiving and Christmas is not going to turn out to be such a good season for them unless there's some intervention. And so these were families we were able to minister to as a church. You remember last weekend I said the three things we needed are people to be involved, to put the baskets together, those who are willing to help us deliver them, get them to the folks, and then the giving covered all three of them. We were able to have more than enough people here put together all of the baskets, able to give all the baskets out this weekend. And then um, you gave more money than what was necessary for uh, well over um, the, uh, the price that was, that was necessary. I think, I think you gave $15,000, $16,000, somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah. So what do we do with the excess money? How many of you know that the need to feed people never goes away Thanksgiving? So there'll, there'll be this coming week more people that are in needs. But thank you for the opportunity to be able to do that. Appreciate that. Appreciate your um, just your heart, your compassion, and your desire to do ministry. Uh, the other thing that I just wanted to, um, to share with you, uh, it's not in your notes. I don't have it as a regular thing that I do. Um, let, let me, I'll, I'll just go about it this way. Um, I don't have a lot of time to take out of the message, so I need to do it a little bit quick here. Uh, I, I'm not into numerology. So if I say numerology, how many of you know what numerology is? Anybody not know what that is? You're kind of, you'd be embarrassed now after you, some people said, okay. Numerology um, is the idea that you use numbers to, uh, to fortune tell or to future tell. So uh, as Christians, the Bible expressly forbids that we, we don't operate with anything like that. However, here is a truth that God um, does everything that he does with a perfect idea that there is, there is hidden treasure if you dig into the things that God does. So numbers for God are really interesting in that certain numbers represent certain things biblically, like the number seven. Seven is a complete, it's the, it's the number of, of days in a week. It's a complete, um, seven is a, it, it means um, to God, it's the perfect ending is seven. So if you go back to the Bible and you look at different numbers, 40, the number 40 is a generation. There's a lot of spiritual significance with the number 40. You'll find that in several things. Three is a, is a particularly interesting number in the Bible. 15, I just got this week, um, I, was, I was just sort of fooling around while I was studying. We're coming into our 15th year uh, as a church. We planted the church in 1998, so 2013 will be our 15th year. So I was studying, and I just got thinking about it, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to look biblically if there's any significance on the number 15. So I was just studying through a couple of concordances that I had, and this is what I, I found. Um, I, I had mentioned, I don't know, two, three months ago, that uh, our name, even Jubilee, was taken from Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee. It's the idea where um, the favors of God, it's the season where, where Jesus announced a permanent Jubilee upon his people with his arrival. Jubilee in the Old Testament would only happen once every 50 years was the real Jubilee. When Jesus came, we live in the time of Jubilee from that point on. And I just mentioned that um, coming into our 15th year, it's the end of our second Jubilee. One seven, the second seven, those are Jubilees. Um, we get to the 15th year. The 15th year biblically means, listen to this, listen to this idea right here. It means new beginnings. And I, I was just sitting there, I was studying, I was looking, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said to proclaim over your church what I mean for the year 15, that I believe 
The 15th year is going to be a year of new beginnings. And what I felt like the Lord was saying is that he was going to bring things that were, that have been, um, how, how did I, I, I sort of felt like things that were um, loose ends. God is going to tie up issues in our life, questions, things that we've wanted to, to we've been praying about. It. I believe the 15th year, this coming year, God is going to bring a wonderful new beginning for his people. I think that the old is going to go and the new is going to come. And if you're just sitting there like, boy, I wish that was true. How about this? Why don't you put a little faith to it and go, God, I, I believe then in what you want to do for the 15th year. And I'm just going to say as a group of people, let's, let's agree together that God can do something supernatural for us in the 15th year. I just, sound, I, I just, when I, I just had the sense that the Holy Spirit wanted me to minister that. I, I felt initially, um, gosh, God, is, are you telling me that? It's just something neat for me. But I felt it was more than that for our church. And so I, I just felt I wanted to proclaim that, and I want to pray. I want to ask God just to do this in the life of our folks. So would you pray with me real quick? So, Father, we, um, we just simply openly come before you. And, God, uh, we don't believe that we can take numbers and um, um, make them uh, make you do anything. We don't think that God, by taking these numbers, we're trying to predict the future or forecast anything. But what we do believe is that you have certain significance. Uh, the book of Proverbs says that you have hidden treasures of wisdom for those who will seek after them. You've got, you've got treasures for those who will seek after. And God, as we just seek after and we look to what you want to do in this next year, God, I just pray that you would perform exactly the meaning of these things, that God, you would bring new beginnings for us. New beginnings spiritually, new beginnings emotionally, new beginnings physically. God, that you would just visit your people this year with the idea of the old is gone and the new has come. God, I just seal that over the lives of your people. God, I pray that you would, you would just create a real um, excitement and anticipation for this next year and for the things that you want to do. God, this world may be a little shaky right now. There may be things that we don't understand. Lord, some of us may be going through uh, spiritual battles in here, like we've talked in this series with strongholds, things that have just been difficult. But I'm praying, God, there's an end to these things in sight. And there is a newness that you want to bring. God, would you just do that? We're excited about that. We just pray it in the only name by which a person can be saved. His name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, grab your notes. Let's jump into this this weekend. We're going to finish up our series on strongholds. I want to say to you very quickly, if anything that I teach tonight, let's say that you're visiting, or if through this series you have heard things that you uh, have enjoyed and you would like to um, pick this up, here's what you would do. Our website is jfc.org. So at any time, go back to our website. All that we teach, all of our resources we put on there for free. And we do that because we believe that you have already given it to us, made it possible so that we can give it back to you. So we put it on there so you never have to pay for the messages. You can refer people there. Everything that we put in print is on that website. What we put in uh, verbally, you'll be able to find it on there. So if anything that we say you're interested in, jfc.org. Going to uh, take the series, and I put this title for the last message. I guess it sort of fits in with the idea of a last message and the direction that I want to go. I titled it, Finish Well. How many of you think that'd be a good idea for a series? Finish it well. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote these words. Solomon wrote, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. We just ask the question, anyone in here live long enough to know that those words are true? The end of, how about this? Any of you thankful that the end of the matter is better than the beginning? 
I wonder how many things in life we start and we head out to do or that we set plans for. And I don't know about you, but there are so many things that I take off trying to do well, wanting to see happen. Uh, I put a great deal of effort, energy, money, time into something and then not have it work out when you're younger can always seem to think that, man, I, I just don't understand it. But as you live a little bit, you go through life and you experience things, you begin to realize that it's how things end up, not how things begin, that really matter. I think good beginnings are important, but more so is finishing well. It's ending the right way. With that in mind, I just wrote down three thoughts. I didn't pull them out of a book. I wasn't reading anything that really stirred up my, my mind about this. It was just simply me and God. I was just sitting at my desk. It was after I'd already met with my pastors. It was after, really, uh, I had put together all of my thoughts for the message. And I was just sitting there, and I was just sort of journaling, and I was writing. And I wrote down these three things. I was thinking about that scripture in Ecclesiastes 7, 8, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. And I wrote down these three thoughts. See if you can agree with them. First of all, God doesn't change your past. He alters your future. Do you believe that? You know, the, the statement right there, that little sentence almost contains the power of everything that we believe to be true. We don't deny that without God, we've got a past. Yes or no? All of us, without God, man, we are headed one direction. We need a savior. So we never stand up and say that we don't have a past or that we put ourselves off as being something that we're not. We recognize we are lost without God. God doesn't come in and erase the past. God comes in and alters where we're headed for the future. The power of the gospel is not that God takes away what happened to us. It's that he delivers us from evil in the future. I love that right there. God doesn't change your past. He alters your future. Dealing with the idea that the end of the matter is better than the beginning. Can you agree with this statement? How you end up is more important than how you began. Again, I don't think that it's wrong or that you're out of line to want to start well in anything. I think it's important to get a good start, but more important than how you start is how you end. Really, where you end up is what it's all about, and how you end up is more important than how you begin. Last but not least, can you agree with this? How you finish is how you're going to be remembered. Seldom do people remember how things started. Everybody tends to remember how it turned out. When I wrote those things down, thinking of the things I talked to you about this coming year, I think my mind was just looking at 2013 and what God wanted to do. I thought to myself, what, what is it in 2013? Where, where would I want to start? Where would I take my church right off the bat the first part of this year? Now, I realize we're not quite to January, but let's start well so we can finish well. I put down in your notes the importance of vision. Those three statements I just made to you, God doesn't change your past, he alters your future. How you end up is more important than how you began, and how you finish is how you'll be remembered. Those three thoughts right there in my mind speak to the idea of vision. Now, vision is one of those buzzwords. We live in a society that is very vision-oriented. However, the kind of vision I'm talking about right now is not the vision that the world presents to you. Uh, the books that are out there on vision, self-help books, here's, here's a definition of the world's idea of vision. It's a, ha having a goal, ha having an intended result in mind, uh, heading out towards a direction. When I say having a vision, I'm not talking about 
having a goal or having an ambition. The kind of vision that I'm talking about is a spiritual understanding, a spiritual, uh, uh, really, awakenness, a, a spiritual, uh, your eyes spiritually are open so that you can see what God is doing. Proverbs 29, 18 is probably the most familiar scripture that we have on the idea of how important a vision is. Proverbs 29, 18 reads this way from the King James Version, where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. You ever heard that scripture before? I've heard people take that scripture and say all sorts of things with it. When I'm talking about vision, remember, I'm not talking about goals. So when you read the scripture, the writer's not saying where there are no goals, people perish. What he's saying, I think the best translation I could find of the literal rendering of these words is found in the NIV, and it would read this way. Here's Proverbs 29, 18, in the literal rendering of the words. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. I think that's probably the best definition of spiritual vision would be the idea of revelation. It's not having a goal. In 2013, when we say, what's your vision? We're not asking people to write down what your goal is. I want to lose weight, or I want to quit this, or I want to start that, or I want to go here. That's not what we're talking about. When I'm talking about vision right here, and I'm talking about the idea of, of what are we going to do in 2013, I'm talking about revelation. What does God want for your life in 2013? What is God saying to you? What is God's direction for you? Are you hearing anything from God about your life right now? So this is really important because the writer of Proverbs tells us without that revelation, people end up in terrible places. He uses the idea of they're held in place by having a vision. I want to throw down this idea right here. He says where there is no vision, people perish. I want to ask the question, how do you lose vision? How, how is it that somebody can start well but end up not finishing well. How do you lose vision? Uh, we have a tendency a lot of times to think that difficulties cause people to end up losing heart. In fact, we live really in a society that does everything it can to protect its children from ever feeling any type of difficulty. I mean, literally, I, I, we live in a day with people, they would, they would bubble wrap their children if they could. They would keep them from absolutely experiencing anything of this life. And in reality, I, I just throw out the idea, it's not difficulties that cause a person to lose vision. In fact, difficulties most of the time develop a person. So it's not difficulties that cause us to lose vision. Um, I threw down the idea that trouble forces people to hold on tighter generally rather than to let go. I remember um, right after 9-11, see if you can pull back just a few years. Do you remember what it was like in the days and weeks right after 9-11? We saw an incredible increase in people coming to church. We, we saw, did you see this, yes or no? Compare this past election a week ago with where we were two and three weeks after 9-11. People dropped political ideologies because we had to come together as a nation during that time. Do you remember? It was more 
in the pressure of the difficulty, people had to come together and hang on. And that in the waning years, without that pressure, people tend to go back to, they lose that vision. For having to hold on and hold together. I wrote it in your notes, it's a paradox thought. Difficulties develop character. Prosperity demands that you have character. How does a person lose vision? It's a paradox. Listen to me. People don't tend to lose vision through trouble. They develop vision during trouble. People lose vision during prosperity. Prosperity doesn't develop character. It demands that you have character so that prosperity doesn't destroy you. The writer of Proverbs says, without that revelation, people are destroyed. Without that revelation, they cast off restraint. Without that revelation, they don't hold on and develop. They lose and wander. I think maybe the best illustration that you'll find of this in the Bible was probably David. Now, at a men's retreat a couple of years ago, I actually taught from this passage right here. I'm going to throw it out to you and just show you something real quickly. Here's, here's what I want to uh, say. Most of us, when we think of David, just right off the top, let me, let me do a demonstration. When I say King David, is your impression generally a positive impression of that guy? What we tend to think about David and what we remember about David is uh, uh, really, hey, this was a good man. Okay, just remember that. We'll come back to it. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, 1 through 5, it's a little story about David in the middle of his life. Remember what I said? Difficulties develop character. Prosperity demands that you have character. How does a person lose vision? 2 Samuel chapter 11, 1 through 5. This is a story of David's life when he was at the height of his prosperity. It's the saying, the cliche, it's good to be the king. David was the king and he had everything that he wanted. He was wealthy, he was powerful, his kingdom was united. There was very little going on that caused him any worry or any problem. David was not fighting battles internally. This, for Israel, was, this was the zenith under David for where Israel was at. They couldn't go any higher. Things couldn't be any better. It was in that place that you would think David would be holding on to God like never before. Thank you, God. Bless you, God. Thank you for bringing everything together. Thank you for pulling my family together. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for finally fulfilling your word. I'm on the throne and everything's set. He's at the pinnacle of, of, you can't have it any better than where David had it at this time in his life. And then we read this story about David in the spring at the time when kings go off to war. Remember, David's the king. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It's just the first comment. The Bible clearly tells us at the time when kings go out to survey their troops. Kings didn't actually fight in the battle. David would have remained at the back and watched his troops fight, but it would have been a 
oh, I don't know, uh, his, his troops would have been able to rally behind the fact that their leader was there. They would have been able to look and to see he's with us, he's for us, as long as he's here, everything's going to be okay. So the Bible tells us that emotionally and mentally, physically, David was supposed to be at this place where he's with his men. And at the time when kings go off to support their troops, David remained behind in Jerusalem and sent someone else. It's just interesting because at the time when David should have been the most secure, when you would think that everything in his life is going so well, he'd just follow the pattern to keep that thing going. David has lost his vision. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. She went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. You know, in those five verses, again, Last week, we looked at a scripture that was three verses that actually, in comparison, was a two-week-long event. Here, you have another event that is actually probably a two-, three-week time period condensed down into five verses. So remember, David's at the zenith and the apex of his kingdom. Everything that he wants, he can have, and it's going good for him. There are no internal problems. Rather than being in the right place, then celebrating and doing what's right to keep it going forward, David loses his vision, and he begins to wander into places and things he never should have been at. The first sign of a person who's lost their vision is that they're not where they're supposed to be. It's a simplistic, easy to say and to understand meaning when we are not where we're supposed to be. It is not conclusive proof, but it's the first sign a person is not holding on to vision. I wrote down underneath that scripture four things that I thought from this scripture I'd see if you can agree with me when it comes down to life's truths, vision, how things work, even the statement that difficulties develop character, prosperity demands that you have it. See if these things don't come together and make sense. Number one, no one is too big to fail. Do you agree with that? What I think is interesting about that, it's when we are big that we tend to think, I can't fail. When you're little, when it's difficult, when you wonder about survival, you never tend to think in terms of, I can't fail. You think just the opposite, I'm going to fail, and it makes you humble, and you have to dig in and hold on to God, don't you? But it's when you get big, especially in your own eyes, that you lose that grip. The necessity to have to pray for survival no longer is there. Here's, here's the weird paradox about this. That when we're in that position of desperation, we're praying, God bless me and get me out of the desperation. God answers our prayer. 
and he brings us to places of prosperity. But what changes? We can't quit praying the prayer, God, rescue me. And I would say to you, the very time you should be praying, God, rescue me, is when you're in prosperity. It's more dangerous for you in prosperity because no one is too big to fail. Now, if you've ever failed, and I recognize this is going out to a people group that probably doesn't deal a whole lot with failure. So let me just say, maybe it's those Castle Rock folks. <laughs> this is like a setup all of a sudden to just gig. So how, how about this? If you've ever failed, failure doesn't mean game over. Failure can mean try it again now with experience. Can I ask you a question again? We just read this horrible story about David. You know, unfortunately, this story doesn't end there. For those of you who know the Bible, you know where it goes from here. David at the zenith, the apex of his kingdom, is not where he's supposed to be. I personally think he was going through a time of he lost his vision so much, he was depressed, and that's why he's staying up all night long. He's not sleeping. And while he's not sleeping, he's not where he should be, he's walking around, it's the middle of the night, and he sees a woman bathing. Now, there's a whole issue. What is this naked woman doing right next to the king? There's a whole, okay, but anyway. Come on. Let's be real about it. I mean, it's, it's not like, does that happen to you? Some of you are like, is that weird? Yes, it's, yeah. Yeah, there's a setup here somewhere. So he's not where he should be. He's not sleeping. He's walking around in the middle of the night. He spies this woman, and because he's the king, and because he can do whatever he wants to, he sins for her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Now, we stop our story there, but the rest of the story goes like this. It was one of his best friends that he's doing this to. His best friend that has been sent out to do what David's supposed to be doing. He's fighting in the battle. So he sends for his friend and he brings his friend back. And he thinks by bringing him back that if I can get him home, there'll be a conjugal visit between he and his wife. But this guy is so loyal that he sleeps in the doorway of his house. He won't go into his wife. So David can't, he can't even though he's the king, he can't, the trap's being set. So he decides, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll put this guy in the heat of the battle so that he gets killed. And when he gets killed, then I'll take his wife, I'll look like a hero. Who would know? So he puts his friend in the heat of the battle and his friend is killed and he takes this woman to be his wife, covered it up, no problem, God knew. God sent some obscure prophet named Nathan to knock on the door and to tell David a little story about someone stealing sheep. David blurts out, tell me who it is, and I'll kill him before the day is over. And this little prophet goes, it's you, king. David is just caught by his own trap. The reason I throw this out at you is, would you agree with me that this kind of person right here is not the kind of person you'd want to hang out with? An adulterer, murderer, conniver, cover-up, it's not the person you want to go 
hang out with tonight? But I asked you when we began the story, what do you think about David? No one remembers this story about David, do they? What do we think about him? He was a wonderful man of God, a man after God's own heart. Yes or no? It's not how you begin, but how you end. Not that what he did wasn't significant. God it cost him the life of his child, and it divided his kingdom. God told him, from this point on, your kingdom will never be like it is again. No one is too big to fail. But failure doesn't have to mean gain over. It can mean try again now with experience. How about this? Years of good can be undone in one moment. Say this word to you. General Petraeus. Does any bell go off in your head right now suddenly? Here is a man who is well above average. Yes or no? Top of the top. This isn't a critique, by the way. You and I, no one in here is too big to fail. But here is a person who at the apex of his career, with a sterling reputation, who in moments, we watched it all crumble this past week. Did you see what I saw? Years of good can be undone. You know, I'm going to say this to you. I don't think that's fair either. But it is the price that you pay for a moment of sin. Nobody talks much about that. We focus on the grace of God, and that's good, well, and right. But let me just remind you, even the New Testament tells us sin crouches at the door. Keep the door closed. Because in one moment, stuff can be taken away from you. How about this? Your relationship with God is the key to vision being maintained in your life. All right, let me say, and see if you can get this. Here's where this whole story comes together for me. Why I believe that it is prosperity that demands character, not develops character, is that my own story goes like that. At one of the very best times of my life, when everything in my life had come together for me, I, I was on a staff in northern Colorado. Most of you know my story. I, I went there as a youth pastor. I became the associate pastor. My pastor loved me. He's still my pastor. He said to me, I'm going to retire, take this church. Everything could not have been going any better from me except that I would go home at nighttime and my relationship with God was nil. I was, yeah, listen, I was at the... I was being paid more than I ever thought I would get paid. My family was taken care of. People, I had no, there was no problems in my life. But emotionally, I found myself, in all honesty, my passion for God was absolutely lacking. And spiritually speaking, there was no desperation inside of me to hear from God because everything in my life was so good. The very blessing of God had become a stumbling block to me. I laid on my face when I realized the place that I was in. I laid on my face for days. Every day I would go in. Being a pastor, here is one benefit of it. My job was to hear from God. 
I would go in the prayer room, I would lay on my face, and I would cry out, God, where are you? And he didn't talk to me. And it developed a desperation in me where day after day after day went by. And I finally got up in this prayer room and I walked, I slammed the door and I yelled at God. No one else, I yelled, where are you? And I heard the crickets of heaven like right now. (laughs) You ever been there? And I went home that night, I had a dream. It was a spiritual dream. This church is a byproduct of that dream 15 years ago. God totally turned my world upside down. Do you know how God gave me back my vision? He had to remove me from the place of security that I was in so that I could become desperate for him again. Did you hear that? (laughs) I'm going to say the sentence to you one more time. With that context, your relationship with God is key to the vision being maintained in your life. I bet when things are hard, it's easier for you to have a relationship with God than it is when everything is going well in your life. Now, it's really quiet right now. Sort of like, Pastor, where are you going to go with this? Maybe this next sentence would be it. How you finish is how you'll be remembered. Because what if I catch you right now at a place where you just go, man, I am, I'm blessed, but I don't feel a desperation for God. Can we just be honest for a minute? What if you did come to church tonight, you hear this message, and all of a sudden it's self-identifying. I am blessed, everything's good, but my passion for God, my zeal for Him, boy, it's not. You couldn't even get a measure on a scale right now. How you finish is how you'll be remembered. I wrote down in your notes, the need for personal revival may be the thing that could come out of this message. What if God were to speak to you tonight about personal revival? What if God were to say to you, would you be willing for me to make you desperate? Would you say yes? I know, you're like, please don't, don't let your eyes fall on me. Yeah, I know. A dangerous question, I know. Like, I I know what I'm saying. I really do know what I'm saying. You know, like, this week while I'm writing this, I'm wrestling with it again. You know, immediately the devil's coming. Here's what the devil says to me. If you pray that, you'll be out of this church by next year. Be gone. God's going to put you back in a death. Listen, don't let the devil write the story for you. My question to you was not, can God... Take, here's what I asked you. Can God make you desperate for him? Get rid of the fear stuff. Get rid of all the, get rid of all the religious. Just ask the question and answer it. Can God make you desperate for him? So really, if he did, regardless of what happened, you'd be okay because you'd be so excited about what's going on in your life. You'd be okay. The need for personal revival could come out of this message. Let me throw out this thought right here. We live in a time where things are shaking around us like never before in my lifetime. Would you agree with that? This week, I just read an article. McDonald's is having a terrible time with their profits right now. The CEO of McDonald's said this. He said, this shaking, listen to what he said. This shaking is becoming the new normal. Even the world sees it. 
Hebrews chapter 12, Paul said, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. Here's what I just asked you. Could God make you desperate? And if he did, could he remove the things out of your life that could be shaken? The things that are false, the things that aren't real. The things that you're building on that aren't going to reward you when it's all said and done. That is created things so that what can be shaken or what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let me just throw this out to you real quick. Most everything we teach again, man, we are a grace church. And I don't apologize for that. It's by grace we've been saved. But there should be in every one of us a respectful, healthy fear of the Lord. So that there is vision inside of us. Without vision, people perish. They cast off restraint. They wander. It ends up destroying them. Where are you at, church? This is where I, 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 am I your pastor? Then I get to ask this question. Where are you at spiritually? And if you're older than me, you can't put yourself outside of the bounds of, if you live as long as I do, you wouldn't ask that question. I'm your pastor. How are you doing spiritually? Is there a desperation in you? Is there any vision in you for what God is doing and what he wants to do? If you're younger than I am, what is God saying to you and what is he calling you out for? Are you going through the motions? Can I ask the question? Did you get dressed, drive over here and sit here, but you're really not feeling anything? That's not vision. That's religion. That's doing the right thing. But it's not the thing that will reward you. Where's your vision? I sort of, when I wrote the message, thought, well, this is like really way outside of strongholds. Yet I would say maybe the most powerful stronghold in a believer's life would be the delusion that everything's okay because my net worth has equaled my self-worth. And everything's just fine. How you doing? How's your heart? Am I giving you a heart attack right now? Just don't. I, I know how the devil does with this. He comes to tell you, don't touch that message. Don't do anything with that message. That's a disaster message waiting to happen. It's not. It's a life message waiting to happen. How you doing? If we took time tonight, we just shut down right now. We just said we're going to give some time for God to talk to us and to open our hearts and to engage with him and to allow him. What if we allowed God to shake it so that what was killing us could just fall off to the side? And what remained was what he wanted in our... Would that be okay? If you're a believer, you should say yes. If you're afraid of that message, you're in spiritual danger. It's tough to say as a pastor to people, but it's true. 
Could God engage you tonight? Would you let him speak to you? Could he give you vision tonight? Revelation, understanding. Not a goal. I think that we're so preconditioned to hear the idea with vision, it's going to be a goal that some of us are thinking, okay, let's just pray. Let's give him that. T- we'll do that thing. We'll run that race real quick. We'll, we'll, fin- we'll compete in that. That's, that's not it. This breathing, living relationship with him that he wants to bring back to us. I just find myself, I don't know how else to try to say it, and I'm not sure whether I'm penetrating and breaking through the veil that can be there sometimes between us and God or not. Marcus leaned over to me right before the start of today's message, and he said, I feel really good about this message. So do I. I feel like there's something so wonderful that God wants to just do. Strip away all the stuff that can be shaken. Yeah. Would you put your hand on your heart? (laughs) For some of you, God healed their hearts right now. This message is difficult. For some people, God, right now, their hearts are beating really hard. An unhealthy fear is trying to grab hold of them. In Jesus' name, I say no to that. That's not the will of God, and that's not the place of God, and that's not what he's trying to do in you. I just pray right now that your heart would be open and that you could engage with God let's just allow the Lord just to speak right now here's what I really believe I think that we've come to a place at the end of our services where we give God this time and I believe that so many of you are hearing from God It's become the best part of the service for you where you're able to engage with God. And right now, that opportunity to engage with him is there. And I think that God's got some really important things that he wants to say to you and to bring to you, to talk to you about. Your willingness to be open right now to hear those things are really important. So may God open your heart. May God give you spiritual eyes, spiritual ears to hear. Your job is not to make any of this happen. You can't, but your job is to present yourself to God and say, here I am. And I just pray right now that the Lord would speak to you about just this need for vision in your life. Where are you at? How are you doing? Are you past the point where you can be challenged? You hear a message like this, do you think to yourself, you know, that's great when you're young, but get older, you can't really do anything about where you're at. That is such a lie. God's got so much for you. 
It's where you end up. It's how you finish. Not how you began, how you finish. Just wait on him right now. Let the Holy Spirit settle on your heart. Don't be afraid of the one-on-one with him. God, just show us. Just open our eyes. Open our hearts. Lord, we just thank you. Just thank you right now. Thank you for vision. Thank you for life. God, thank you for your joy. So our worship team at our campuses, I'm going to turn it over to all of them, let them lead in worship. As they do that, here's what I'd like you to do. Last couple times that I've taught, just having you sit and listen for the first song, I think has been really beneficial in letting God just speak to us. I want you to do that right now. This is not performance either, church. It's not just, hey, sit and watch people sing a song. It's an opportunity for while you're sitting there to not be engaged personally with singing or worshiping. It's an opportunity for you to open your ears and listen to what God is saying. And then we come to the second song. And then I want to encourage you to engage with God. And have our worship leaders have you stand in that second song and then move into whatever element we offer for you to be able to do that communion, the altar, Worship, prayer, however. I just pray right now as you you listen. Holy Spirit would just really, just let him show you. And as the Father does show you, as he talks to you, engage him on those things. Tell him yes. Allow God to be God. Thank you, Lord.